Good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day to all the uh, fathers and father figures who are with us uh, here this morning. Uh, so I wanted to start out this message which, uh, with a nice um, encouragement, a word of encouragement to our uh, fathers. And so I've been a dad for eight years, and so I thought that my source of wisdom wasn't enough, so I had to go to the internet to figure out, to find some good nugget of truth to share with uh, all the fathers who are with us today. Uh, and so I found this quote by Mark Twain, and I read it, and I was like, you know what, I really think this summarizes fatherhood very well. So here it is. And this is, I'm, re- I'm quoting him, this isn't me. I got to say that because my dad's here, I don't want him to, you know. Here's a quote. When I was 17, I could hardly endure my father because my father was so ignorant. At 20, I noticed that he said a sensible thing occasionally. At 25, I was astonished at how much my father had learned during the past eight years. (laughs) Fatherhood in a nutshell. All right, so uh, we are continuing our sermon series called Road Trip. Uh, We're in week two of that. And what we're doing with this sermon series is that, you know, when you're on a road trip, a lot of times the best part of the trip isn't necessarily the destination you're going or the places uh, that you see, but it's the conversations And it's the interactions that you have with people along your journey. And so with this sermon series, we are going on a road trip with Jesus. We're following him around as he's kind of going around town to town. And we're listening in to these conversations, these interactions that he had with folks who are just like us. And we're seeing how these conversations changed their lives. And when we look at these conversations, we also see that they can change our lives just as much today, just as much as the people uh, back then that he interacted with. And so before I get any further, I want to pray for us. Uh, Father, God, um, we love you so much, God. We just pray this morning uh, that you speak uh, to each one of us, Lord. Just um, help us hear your voice, hear um, your message to each one of us this morning individually. Just work in our hearts, work in our minds, and help us get what you want uh, us to get out of today, Lord. All these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, so this morning, uh, we're going to be talking about doubt. And doubt is one of those things that maybe you have dealt with it uh, at some point in your life. And so to figure out whether doubt, doubt is something uh, that you uh, struggle with or may struggle with, I actually found this, uh, this test online uh, that I think is very scientific. It seemed like the methodology is really, really good in this test. Uh, we're going to actually spend a couple minutes going through this uh, test together. And it's to determine whether you're somebody who might be susceptible uh, to doubt in your life. Okay? And so what we're going to do um, is you can get the pen out of the seat back in front of you. You can actually take notes on your sermon outline uh, with this. And really, um, how well this test does is, is determined by how honest you are to these answers. Okay? So here we go. Here's question number one. Are you someone currently breathing? Question two. If you are not currently breathing, at one point in the past, were you someone that breathed? If you answered yes to at least one of the questions above, then you are somebody who has probably dealt with doubt at some, per- some point in your life. If you answered yes to both questions above, you should probably go see a doctor. You might have a problem. But in all seriousness, Doubt is something that we all struggle with. And that's going to be the baseline assumption that we're going to make throughout the rest of this message. It's going to be an honest conversation about doubt. And see, everyone has doubts. It may look differently uh, from person to person, but I think that everybody has them. 
And so maybe you're here this morning uh, and you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus. And you know, you, you, may, you may look at the stories and you may doubt whether God is real or whether Jesus is who he was. Maybe somebody drug you here today. Maybe you think, hey, Jesus is worth investigating because his teachings are good, but I don't really buy the whole uh, resurrection thing. I don't buy the whole Jesus the Son of God thing. Uh, and, and you know, you may even be thinking, man, I wish I could just have the amount of faith that everybody else in this room has so I could believe just like them. I just can't, I just can't do it, but I wish that I could believe. And here's the truth. I'm going to let you in on a little secret, Okay. And the secret is this, is that once you become a Christian, that doesn't change. That doesn't change. Your doubts may look differently than they did before, but even once you become a follower of Christ, you still have doubts. And because here's what happens a lot of times, is you become a Christian, and things are going great, and you're excited, and there's this newness, there's this freshness to it. You may have even decided to accept Jesus because you thought, I, this is going to change my life. Everything's going to be better from this point on. And then, inevitably, something, something happens. Something like uh, somebody you know and love uh, gets sick. And then so you pray for that person. You pray that God heals them. You pray that they get better. And you pray, and you pray, and you pray. And they don't get better. They pass away. And you start to have doubts. Maybe it's a, a job situation or a financial situation and something you're really struggling with and you go to God and you say, God, help me in this, help me out of this problem, God. Help me, help me. And you pray and you pray and you pray and you don't see the change that you're expecting to see. And so after a while, you start to doubt. Maybe you go to church and something that somebody in leadership says or does uh, hurts you. And because of that hurt, you start to lose faith in God because you've lost faith in his followers, and you start to doubt. Or maybe you have a conversation with somebody who doesn't share the same faith beliefs that you do, and you're having this conversation with them, and they're saying things to you um, that point out some things with your faith, and you think, I've never thought about those things before, and you start to doubt. Maybe it's none of those things, but I think everybody, you know what it is in your heart that you struggle with that causes you to have doubt. And so, there's an important question that comes out of this. And, you know, you think the question, the question that comes to mind, you think this is the most important question, is, is doubt okay? And unfortunately, that's a really hard question to answer. Because here's the thing with doubt, is that on one hand, we know that doubt can be a barrier to your relationship with God. We know that doubt can cause you to be less than 100% committed to your faith and your relationship with God. God may be calling you to do something in your life, but you have the doubt and you don't trust him, and so you don't do it. And so, that, so doubts can be a problem. But on the other hand, just as we said, doubt is something that everybody struggles with. And so the question is not, is doubt okay? That's the wrong question. The question and the tension that's created is, what do I do with my doubts? What do I do with my doubts when I have them? I know, I know I'm going to have them. I know they're not a good thing, so what do I do with them? And so to answer that question, we're going to look at a story in the book of Mark. And so if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, uh, you can go to Mark chapter 9. And we're going to look at this story. It's going to start in verse 14. And while you're going there, uh, just a little bit of background. Um, 
you're going to see some folks in the story uh, called scribes, or maybe your translation said teachers of the law. And I just want to take a second to explain um, what this is, because you hear us a lot of times uh, talk about the scribes and the Pharisees. We lump those together, scribes and Pharisees, scribes and Pharisees. And so we think it's like the same thing. It's the same person. And it's, it's really not. And so the difference between the Pharisees and the scribes is a Pharisee was anybody who believed that following strict Jewish law uh, was the best way to keep Judaism as, as a pure religion and to, and to follow God. And so you could have common people who were Pharisees. You could have religious leaders who were Pharisees. You could have political leaders that were Pharisees. So being a Pharisee was almost like something like we would say today is like a political party, okay? Scribes were actually the teachers of the law, though. It was a position that they had. The scribe's job was to know the law inside and out so they could teach people what the law said. And they would write down the law. They would pass it on. They would, they're the ones that would write the, the interpretations and traditions of what the law required. So it was a position of authority. And so what we get out of this is, is scribe, a scribe could be a Pharisee, but not, every, not all Pharisees were scribes. Does that make sense? Okay. And really none of that's like super important to understand what we're going to talk about today. But like for me personally, whenever I read these stories, like I really like learning about that stuff because it helps me better picture in my mind what's going on uh, in these stories. And so we're going to jump in uh, here, verse 14. So right before this, uh, Jesus, Peter, James, and John uh, went up on a mountain uh, for something that we call the transfiguration. It's when they saw Jesus in all of his glory. And meanwhile, while they were having this incredible mountaintop experience, the rest of the nine disciples were down at the bottom of the hill. And, and this is where the story uh, picks up, okay? So verse 14. Mark 9, verse 14. When they, they being uh, Jesus, Peter, James, and John, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law, or scribes, maybe your translation says, arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. And so we get this picture that I imagine that this was a pretty heated argument that was happening. You can imagine all these people gathering around to, what's this commotion about? So all these people start to gather around, and the disciples and the scribes are having this very heated argument back and forth. And so Jesus comes up and he says, hey guys, what, what, are, you, what are you arguing about? So verse 17, a man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who was possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashing his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. And so we get a clue here in terms of what we think the disciples and the scribes were arguing about. And so if you look back at Jewish tradition at this time, uh, there was a very set procedure whenever a rabbi was conducting an exorcism. They had a very specific procedure that they followed. And step one of that procedure was always interviewing the unclean spirit with the sole purpose of finding out the spirit's name. Because they believed that you couldn't call a spirit out of somebody until you knew the unclean spirit's name. Okay? But the problem we see here is this spirit was mute. It didn't speak. And so the scribes would have said, and here's what we think happened, we're reading between the lines, but this is the argument that we think happened, is we think the father brought his son to the disciples, the disciples tried to heal him, and they couldn't, and the scribes said, ha, we told you, you can't do this, because you don't know the unclean spirit's name, you can't heal this boy. And the disciples were probably saying, well, we know that, but a couple chapters ago, Jesus gave us authority over unclean spirits in his name. It doesn't matter the unclean spirit's name. We're calling him out in Jesus' name. And so they're having this argument back and forth whether it's even possible 
to heal this boy. And so, because it's Father's Day, it's appropriate to look at this story from the father's perspective. And if you're the dad here, and your son is struggling with this, like, what do you care about? Do you care about this debate that's happening? Like, do you even care? No, I could care less, guys. Somebody just heal my son. I don't care, right? And that's why I think it's interesting. Jesus says, what are you arguing about? And it's not the scribes and the disciples that say, well, hold on, Jesus, here's what's going on. The dad's like, I don't know, just help my son. That's all I care about here. So verse 19. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Ouch. Harsh words, right? So the question here is, who is Jesus talking to? And there's some debate about who this is directed to. Some people think that it was directed towards the scribes. Some people think it was directed towards the disciples. Some people think it was directed to the crowd in general. But almost nobody thinks that it was directed at the Father because of what happens next. So verse 20. So they brought him. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. He has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And that's really where I think that we are a lot of times. God, if, if you can heal this person, please, please heal them. God, if you can make my situation better, please help me. God, if you can fix this pain in my life, please help me. But you see, the fact that it's an if statement shows, an if statement at its core is a statement of doubt. In logic, we call these if-then statements. If X is true, then Y is true. But if X is not true, then Y is not true. So doubt, so if statement at its core is a statement of doubt. But if you think about where the father is coming from here, I mean, you think about what it would have been like to have his son go through these episodes. And it talks about how he threw him into the fire. Can you imagine pulling his son out of there and having the burn wounds that you have to heal? Or pulling his son out of the water and having to comfort him and having to to be there for his son? I mean, do do you blame the father for coming to Jesus and saying, if you can do something, please help me? I mean, I don't, right? I don't because I think we'd be doing the same thing. And here's the other reason. Because he was there. The father came there. So that showed some level of faith. And so the father didn't have all the answers. He probably had a lot more questions than he did answers. But he still brought his son to Jesus. Here's what happens next in verse 23. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. And so there's three types of doubt that we see in this story. The first doubt is in the scribes. 
their doubt caused a denial that pushed them away from God. And so I asked when I started, is doubt okay? And here's why I said it's not an easy question. Because sometimes doubt comes into our lives, and it may be even something very small in your faith. Um, but it forms a crack. And as we see every winter with our wonderful roads, that crack, if left untreated, even though it's something that's hard and solid as concrete, that little tiny crack, if left untreated, gets wider and wider and worse and wider and worse and wider, and it turns into a major problem. And so what this can look like in our faith is that we have a doubt about something, whether something hurt us. And so maybe you, you become a little less interested in, in coming to church, and so you start to fade away a little bit. You start to be a little less interested in having those conversations with your friends uh, who are fellow believers, and you gradually lose this rhythm in your life of being encouraged by God's Word, encouraged by other believers, and, and fed. And so gradually, over time, this little crack becomes worse, and you drift further and further and further away until maybe a year later, maybe five years later, you look back and you say, how in the world did I get here? I'm so far from where I once was because of this little crack that I didn't treat turned into this massive gap that's now impacting my life. And so if your doubts are causing you to deny God, then that's a problem. That's not a healthy form of doubt. And likewise, if your doubt is keeping you from your faith or from your church, that's a problem. That's not a healthy form of doubt. The scribes rejected who Jesus was, what he said he was, who he was, because they doubted him. And if we don't manage our doubts in a healthy way, we can do the same thing that the scribes did, and it can make us reject Jesus. Second, in the disciples, doubt caused defeat that threatened their calling. And this is one that I think is really dangerous for those of us in the church, because the Bible talks about the danger of lukewarm Christians. And so here's what this looks like a lot of times. As you come to church, you hear the stories, you believe in God, you believe in Jesus, you believe all these things, you believe right up to the point where you have to actually take a step in faith to do something that God is calling you to do. And you look at that big step and you say, I don't know. God, I don't know if I trust you. And so you don't take the step. So God may be calling you to something great, to something big, or something small, whatever God is calling you to do. Your doubts can be the thing that holds you back from taking that next awesome step that God has planned in your life. So finally, in the dad, doubt caused a desire that brought him closer to God. I believe, God, help my unbelief. It is such a powerful prayer. Because you know what is the core of that statement? It's honesty. Jesus said, after he said that, Jesus said, if? Question mark. And the dad could have said, oh, no, 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 Jesus. That, that's not what I meant. I, Jesus, I believe you. I trust you. I, I believe that you can do all these things. He could have lied to him and said, no, you miss, I misspoke. I'm sorry, Jesus. But he didn't. He shared with Jesus exactly where his heart was. He was there. He had faith that Jesus could do this. But he also had some doubts that I don't know if this is possible. He shared exactly where his heart was. And by sharing his doubt with Jesus, he showed his desire to believe in him. And Jesus did exactly what he wanted him to. 
And see, here's the thing, is that real relationships demand honest moments. Do you feel like you can be honest with God? When was the last time you told God exactly how you felt? When was the last time you told God you were angry at him? When was the last time you told God that you had doubts? When was the last time you told God, God, I'm struggling with this. I need your help, God. When was the last time you were, you were mad at some injustice that you saw and you thought, God, this is so unfair. How could this be? How could this be, God? This, this hurts me so much, God. How can this be? It's a very different prayer from the prayer that a lot of times we do. You know, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the beautiful weather. Thank you for my family, my house, my food. Help keep me safe. Amen. I mean, that's the prayer we like to say, right? Sometimes, maybe it's time for an honest conversation with God, an honest prayer. So here's the application for us today. Remember, I said, what's the most important question is, what do we do with our doubt? How do we handle our doubt in a healthy way so it doesn't cause, cause us to deny God? How do we handle our doubt in a healthy way so it doesn't defeat us? When it comes to our doubt, honest to God, just blank. What? Just believe? Just have faith? Just stop doubting. Does that do anything? If you, somebody's having doubts, you say, just stop doubting. Do you think that's going to cause any difference in their life? That doesn't do anything, right? So what's the application for us? When it comes to our doubts, honest to God, just be honest to God. God is big enough that he can handle your doubt. So be honest with him. Maybe it's time you had an honest conversation with God. Maybe it's time you tell God exactly what's actually on your heart. But after you do, here's what you have to do. You have to listen. You have to listen through Scripture. You have to listen through wise counsel of friends that you're also being open with and sharing your doubts with, too. You have to listen to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart. And what are you listening for? Are you listening for an answer? I hope not, because you might never get it. You might never get the answer. You may be waiting for that answer for a very, very long time. Maybe never on this side of heaven will you understand the doubt. But here is what God can do if you allow him, is that God can change your perspective. I heard one time that doubts are like a solar eclipse. And so if you picture the sun very far away, in outer space. It's this massive, massive ball of energy and light. And it's the source of everything that we have on earth in terms of energy and light and all that stuff. It's massive. It's huge. It's, we're so small compared to that. But then you have this much, 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 much smaller object in the moon that gets in front of that massive object in the sun. And so from earth, what do we see? It blocks out the sun. The moon blocks out the sun, right? But when you change your perspective and you see the scale of what these objects really look like, you see that the moon is up. I mean, can you even see that? It's like a little tiny speck, and the sun's so, so big. And that's what happens with our doubts. And that's not to, that's not to minimalize this. That's not to say your doubts are not a problem. That's not to say your doubts are small or insignificant. But the point is here, no matter how big your doubts are, God is bigger. God is bigger than your doubts. 
And so when you change your perspective, it can help change how you see things. God may not give you the answers to your doubts, but he can help change how you see them. He can change your perspective. And by changing the perspective, you might see them in a different light. It might look something like this. God, I don't understand this. Whatever the situation is, God, this, this hurts me. God, I don't understand why, why this is happening. I don't understand the injustice to this. It, makes, it just seems so unfair, God. But God, I trust that you love me. I trust that you care for me. I trust that you are good. God, why I'm struggling with this, help me not lose sight of who you are. God, help me not lose sight of who I am to you. Help me wrestle with this, but help me always keep my eyes fixed on you. And if you pray those types of prayers with God through your doubt, you'd be amazed what happened, can happen on the other side if you allow God to let, it, let him work in your life. Because what God can do is he can help you see things the way that he sees them. You might not have answers, but it might change your perspective. It's the power of perspective. And so if you do that, your doubts can go from being something that harms your relationship with God. Your doubts can go from something that is a barrier to your relationship with God. Your doubts can go from something that causes you to deny God. Your doubts can go from something that causes you to to be defeated and not take steps in your faith. If you do these things, your doubts can go from that to your doubts can become the catalyst for having an honest and real relationship with God, maybe for the first time ever. Your doubts can do that. Your doubts can be that bridge to have that honest relationship. I don't know what those doubts are in your life. I I don't know. They look different from every person. I don't know your story. I don't know where you've come from. But I would really encourage you this week to spend time with God talking to him about your doubts, being honest with your doubts. Don't hold anything back. Tell him where your heart is and then ask him to work on those doubts with you. It's going to be a process. You may pray, for, that may, that's not going to be something you pray for five minutes and then it's, it's all fixed. It may be something you have to pray about for months, weeks, however long. But if you keep being persistent in that prayer, I do believe that God can change your perspective and can help you at least address the doubts in your life. But the first step, no matter what you do, the first step is this. Honest to God, just be honest to God. Let's pray. Father, we look at the world we live in and we see so many things that we uh, struggle with and that we have questions about, God. Um, and sometimes those things can get in the way of, of our relationship with you, Lord. And we pray this morning, God, that we can just help see things the way that you see things, God. We can help know that while we struggle with these things, God, we don't lose sight of who you are, Lord. We know that you're good. We know that you love us. Uh, even in all those things that happen that we don't understand, God. Help us hold on to those things, Lord. I pray specifically this week, God, that we, you can work on our hearts and allow us to uh, be honest with you and have these conversations with you throughout this week, Lord. That Maybe this is the first time in our lives uh, that we've been able to have those honest conversations with you, God. I just pray that you work in us and allow us to have those conversations with you, Lord. God, we love you so much. We know you're bigger than anything that we deal with, Lord, and we trust in that this morning. All these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, that's our time together. Happy Father's Day. We'll see you all next week. Thanks.